uh, more people need to be at the table to discuss ethics and um, from all different walks of life, so everybody's representative. And that seems to me as if you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Rajiv, is that we need to democratize innovation of artificial intelligence. Rajiv, why could Dharma be important for the future of an AI-enabled society? Well, you know, um, Western universalism with a heavy baggage of uh, a kind of violence, war, conquest, and also uh, materialism uh, is, is not a suitable, it, it, well, it, it, it has succeeded in pr producing AI in a big way, but this AI could uh, take materialism and selfishness to new heights. Of course, there are good, good uh, applications in medicine and agriculture and so on. But the question is who controls. And the notion of ownership in, in uh, Western universalism is very different from uh, in the Dharma traditions. In the Dharma traditions, you know, there is no such thing as God made the world as man's property and man exploits it. It's not, it's not like that. Uh, so nature has its own selfhood. Nature is divine. Nature is also a manifestation of the divine. And so I have to respect nature. I, as the, all human beings are a manifestation of the divine. I, I have to respect myself. I have to respect each other, including nature, animals, the world, everything. So the, what we call ecology is built into this, what we call uh, respect for each other, human rights, respect for diversity, uh, you know, uh, many, many paths to the, to the same truth. All these things are sort of built into the Dharma. So if you build an AI system, uh, it, it should not be something that is parochial to a Western point of view and Western universalism, because you'll have a return of colonization Maybe China has, is sufficiently westernized and sufficiently materialistic to join in. Uh, but what happens to the rest of the world? So you will create uh, human misery. Uh, and not only is it a moral issue uh, of exploitation of other people, but I think this time around, people who are not going to sit down and take it. There, there will be a lot of violence. Uh, there will be the, so, so there'll be moral, ethical issues and also pragmatic crises of society and geopolitics. So I, I think that uh, the world, the AI community and uh, the world in general has to reevaluate the premise of Western universalism as the building block and look at other alternatives, Dharma being a very, very promising one. That's great. Thank you very much for that. Um, so we talk about Western universalism and diesel colonization. What, in your, in your view, what are the lessons from history that can assist us to avoid digital colonization of nations? Well, you know, the idea of property in the West uh, uh, can, is now being applied to owning data, owning algorithms, owning uh, the apparatus of AI, in the intellectual property of AI. So the people from the Dharma traditions are not uh, used to claiming their innovations as sort of property. Uh, you know, medicine was never, was a very advanced thing in India, but it was never considered somebody's patent. The idea of a patent wasn't there. Knowledge wasn't something you patent and deny other people or license it under, the, under your control. So we're living in a world of uh, 
you know, those who have the intellectual property, as, as it's a knowledge economy and AI kind of expands that, we're living in a world where knowledge and uh, intellectual achievements are property. So what, I, what that does is uh, certain people will have more of it or have all of it compared to others. This is, uh, this is a very big lesson. I think the digital, uh, the digital world needs to rethink the ethicists like yourself uh, have, to re have to help the world rethink uh, concepts of who owns what and what can be owned and what should be open source, uh, what should be uh, you know, available to everybody on an equal basis. Of course, when you do that, then you are puncturing the whole might of the Googles of the world. And I'm not picking on one company. I'm saying there's a whole lot of them. They've built their success on accumulating and curating, you know, knowledge about other people, knowledge about different things, and that's their that's their basis. So if you, these are some tricky questions to address because the entire uh, stock market would have a big uh, collapse in many ways. The whole capitalist system would, if you suddenly said that intellectual properties are bogus, because you know then these things would evaporate. So you cannot go that far. It's certainly not suddenly. Uh, but I would say that the people who represent the dharma need a seat at the table to discuss, negotiate, bargain. And my future works are going to propose some very constructive, practical things, uh, practical ways to continue this dialogue in that direction. That's fantastic. And you mentioned ethics. Um, and it, it's clear that, uh, that you believe that ethics are important in to determine a beneficial future with artificial intelligence. What ethics do you think you should use? Should everybody use the same ethics or do you think it needs to be different for each nation? Well, you know, there have to be some common principles because people are transacting. Uh, and, and I would say that, uh, uh, you know, for one thing, uh, currently the lack of transparency in the AI world is a very big unethical issue. Uh, I don't know what information they have on me. I don't know when I do a post, what algorithm was used to decide where this will go, where it will not go. I don't know what algorithms were used to decide what posts will be shown to me and which ones will not be shown to me. In other words, it's one thing that they are, it's bad enough that they're manipulating this, but then how they're manipulating is also kept secret. So I don't even know. I don't even know how to complain, what to complain about. So I, there should be more transparency. That's, that, that should be the first step. And there should be mechanisms where uh, uh, anybody from the public can go and demand uh, you know, a discussion, demand, make, a, make a complaint, make an issue out of it. We don't have forums. Uh, you know, unless you are a very big uh, organization with a lot of deep pockets for lawyers, you, you cannot take on these giants. You, you, you really, it's a one-sided thing. So uh, the, the world, uh, all this talk about ethics, uh, most of these ethics, AI ethics organizations are actually funded by these digital giants. Uh, they are funded, they're sponsored, they put their own people in there. Some of them, they, are, they float their own organization and call it AI ethics or AI open AI and AI for the public. But when you look behind the scenes, it's the, it's the very same guys that, that we have to hold accountable that are actually controlling it. So there, have to be, there has to be more of a democracy in the control of the ethical discussion. And this democracy has to bring in people from non-Western countries. It has to bring in women. It has to bring in people who are from minority communities, people who are small businesses, people who are not the mighty producers of AI, uh, but who are affected by it. 
so I, the ethics should be a level playing field on which we sit down and discuss what are the rules. I'm not for heavy handed regulations. I don't want a dictatorial kind of a regime that sort of clamps down on all this. I do believe in creativity, but there has to be a balance between completely free creativity and innovation on the one hand, and you know uh, the, the other side being over-regulated and over-controlled. So we need something in the middle. Yeah, that makes really good sense, actually. So it seems to me as what you're saying is uh, more people need to be at the table to discuss ethics. And um, from all different walks of life, so everybody's representative. And that seems to me as if you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Rajiv, is that we need to democratize innovation of artificial intelligence. Yes. Okay, yes. that's great. Yes. So you know, big... Sorry, go ahead, please. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So, you know, since AI, uh, the, the fuel that drives it is big data, and the big data is, the, the best big data is not the one that is homogenous about one little community over and over again, but spread around the world, many kinds of DNAs, many ethnicities, many languages, and the more diverse uh, you know, experience this algorithm is given and the smarter it gets because that's what makes a human being what, what the human being is that we are able to deal with lots of things, lots of experiences. So to make, uh, to train algorithms, you've got to give them breadth of breadth and depth of data. Now, in a sense, you are using this data from all these countries and all these places, but you know, you're not even telling them what you're doing with it. You're, you're getting the benefit. It's sort of like in biology and pharmaceuticals, uh, people go around the world and get clippings of various plants and these plants they isolate various molecules which people haven't even thought of but they exist in nature and many of these uh, you know ancient uh, tribes or ancient communities uh, old kind of communities traditional i should say the right word is traditional communities have found cures uh, you know nature cures and so these pharma companies go around scouting they spend a lot of money trying to figure out which are the plants that these people use for various things and then they start isolating molecules, but you know, they own the patent. They own the patent because they isolated a molecule, even though a particular community may have used that plant in its natural form for a very long time. So, you know, we are, the, the, the claim of uh, property uh, in terms of somebody, somebody else has found that this plant, you treat it in this way and it cures this sort of ailment. And, and we're not giving them the, the rights that, you know, they are the discoverers they are actually the core discoverers. On the other hand, if I come and isolate the molecule, figure out what actively works in it, I'm considered the, the inventor of this, you know? So I own that molecule. I mean, owning a molecule means like I own a piece of nature. That's pro my property now. There are some laws the UN has passed. There are some international laws which are giving a partial ownership to the community whose uh, plant-based information was taken by a pharma company. So there are some laws like that. Maybe they could be stronger. Similarly, there ought to be laws for the digital era, a digital world where, you know, if somebody goes and uh, harvests data on a very big scale, then the people whose data has been harvested to train the algorithm should have some ownership in it. I absolutely agree with you. So you're talking about user agency. So, so let me ask a direct question here, Rajiv. Do you think that data is an extension of the human experience and as such an extension of the human sovereignty and therefore people should own their data? Yes. So I have a 
I have a, 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 a lot to lot to say on this uh, matter, uh, <clears throat> and there are some good solutions also. So, my personal person is my mind to own in my person, and my person is not just this physical body. It's also all my life, all my photographs, all my experiences. You know, all the whatever I've done. That information about me is also mine. It's also part of me. My X-rays, my medical information, all of that. Now, if I want to share voluntarily uh, under some kind of an arrangement where you know somebody will benefit and they will compensate me for it and they will use it in a way that uh, will be with my permission, that that should be allowed. So there should be. I, I propose. I'm proposing in some work I'm doing that there should be a sort of a data exchange between suppliers and users. So I, you know, I, I may want to organize a whole community of people like, let's say I'm a leader of a community and I go around and I say, okay, let us as a community organize all our data as a collected entity. And we will, we will negotiate whether we sell it to AI vendor A or B or C or all of them, and we will get something out of it. And so if our data is useful and to the extent our data has been used to develop certain solutions, we ought to be uh, informed about it. And we ought to, uh, number one, we ought to be informed about it. Number two, we should have a stake in, in whatever value comes out of it. And number three, if they ever want to use our data against us, in other words, to manipulate us because they understand our, our secrets, they understand how we think, that should be a really red flag. So, you know, right now they are not only picking Matthew's data to learn about people of a certain background and how they behave and how to market to them and what your behavior profile is. Not only that, but they're also using your data to figure out how to market to you, how to make you go on this holiday or have this ideology or convert to that political system. I mean, they're, they're using your data. It's like your psychologist uh, turning, turning on you. I mean, the same psychologist that you have opened up to your, uh, yourself to now decides that, hey, you know, I figured out so much, so many secrets and so much stuff about this guy that actually it has market value. And I'll go to clients called advertisers, this is their, you know, and, and say, hey, listen, I know how to convince him of things that you want me to convince him of. So I'm going to do that. And I'll do it in a sneaky way. I'll, I'll, I'll make it look like it's best for him. So there is something dishonest about it. I, I agree with you. So I think what you're potentially alluding to, and, and by the way, I, I'm really enjoying your views because I think right on the money, is are we looking at democracy change to incorporate these new types of values that you're discussing? Um, we know China collects data at a large scale without permission from its citizens, and that gives it a leap ahead in training planning. A democratic nation competes with the fact that China can take huge data sets without permission. How does that work in a democratic nation? What are your thoughts on that, Rajiv? So in a democratic nation, uh, obviously, people's rights have to be, uh, if you want to benefit from those rights, their, their data, you have to do it with their permission. Uh, and, and so some kind of a, of a market where uh, people whose data is to be used uh, and those who want to take use it uh, are in some sort of an exchange. Uh, so this this would be this would be something that would maybe cost a certain amount of revenue or profit to the big companies. They'll have to reduce their profit because they'll have to share it. 
you know, if you look at, uh, you know, let's say uh, Facebook has 2 billion or whatever the latest number is, 2.5 billion or whatever number of uh, people on their network. And then, you know, some of them are supplying a lot of data, some are supplying less data. If they were to meter how much data in, so like we have electricity in kilowatts and megawatts, so suppose they were to meter what kind of data was brought in and how many data points were useful and how they were used, all this could be done. I know it's complex, but these machines are very complex. They can keep track of it. So if they were to keep track of how much data Matthew supplied and how much Rajiv supplied and how much person X supplied, you know, then once a month, once a year, whatever, they'd have to give us a disclosure saying that I've been using this much data about you. And if you want to know, I even tell you what that data was and I have used it for these, these products. That's at least the beginning of disclosure and honesty and transparency. And it would give you the right to, it would give you some information to say, oh my God, this is quite interesting. Now, now I want to, I want to see what's in it for me. So if the person, if the people say, if the people demand something unreasonable or demand something so high a price that uh, the, the company will not be able to make money, then hey, tough luck. I mean, it's like, it's like you want to, you want to build a hotel and you want to buy my lot or lease my piece of property. And if I, if I think that if, if the price I want is too high, then sorry, you can't build it. I mean, that, that's how property should work. If, if you do believe in property, and then, then you should also extend this property to data. And then if you extended it to data, you see the reason, they, reason Microsoft will fight like crazy to have intellectual property of its software imposed on all over the world, uh, is because that's what they need to make money. But the reason they don't want to consider that the data they use is intellectual property is because most of it comes from poor countries. Uh, the rich countries send back the algorithms that they have made and the poor countries are supplying them with the data for which they get no value. So it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a dishonest system. You know, it's sort of like you get raw material from poor countries in Africa for a very small amount you know, and some minerals or whatever. And then the, the more industrialized countries take this raw material, make all kinds of industrial goods, and they supply it back for a huge amount, a huge amount of money. And this, uh, the designs and the manufacturing they supply back is all patent protected. But the raw material is sort of like it's up for grabs. So, you know, this, there is a philosophical dimension to this discussion on who owns nature, who owns human beings and their experience. And this has never been put open for honest discussion. There has, I, I'm not aware of any debate, discussion, conference where a wide diversity of people are invited to present provocative ideas. Yeah, I, I think that's beautifully put. And what you're talking about is the trust paradigm and how do we bridge the trust paradigm, Raj? Yes. And I think that's beautifully put. As we close this, uh, and, and thank you for sharing your thoughts, as we close this section down and move on to the next section, there's two more questions I'd like to ask. Um, and I think you've already touched on a lot of this already, but I just want to ask it again. Um, what key strategies must we get right for global and national success in artificial intelligence? What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, first we should declare that uh, every human being has value and their experience has value. Uh, right now, actually, you know, it's very interesting. The value of your data and the value of somebody else's data, they think is in proportion to uh, your value to the advertisers. 
I mean, you're, you're a rich guy, you're going to buy expensive Nike shoes. So we want that data about you because it has more value if we can sell you those Nike shoes. But that other fellow in a poor neighborhood is not going to buy those expensive Nike shoes. He's going to buy some cheaper things. And so his data is less valuable to us. That's not a, that's not a very egalitarian. It's not a very nice statement about, about humanity. So uh, I, I think that the fundamental premises of uh, inequality are right there. Uh, the fundamental premises of uh, uh, you know, the rights that people have over their data, uh, the, the, uh, the ideas that your market value uh, to, the, to the digital economy depends on uh, how much the advertisers can sell you. It's literally true. I mean, you can, you, when I place, if I were to place an ad on Facebook and I say downtown Trenton, which is a poor neighborhood, uh, versus if I say Princeton, the value I have to pay for every thousand messages going out would be dramatically different. That's just, just the nature of any advertising. So, you know, people, if they are championing, and these people are also very liberal, they're, they're championing human rights, they're championing equality, they talk all that. But this is, the, at the end of the day, uh, it is basically brutal capitalism. It's whatever makes maximum money. That's really what it amounts to. The, the issue of uh, uh, privacy is there. The issue of relationship of these big giants to governments, because you know Google is aligned with the US government, with the CIA, they have a lot of links there. Chinese tech giants are, of course, inseparable from the Chinese government. So you have the Russians, you have, you have sovereign nation states involved in this game. And some of them do it openly as a government. Some of them do it in alignment with their companies. And not all of this is fully disclosed. And then these companies operate through NGOs, which make it look like it's all philanthropy and all that. This is not true. I just found out uh, Microsoft is seriously involved in, uh, uh, in, a pro in uh, grants to India, not Microsoft, but Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, seriously involved in giving grants to universities in India, specifically to use artificial intelligence to uh, come up with models of social behavior. So, you know, you figure out at, at village level, at district level, at the level of a certain community, certain faith, certain traditional community, uh, who are, what are the behavioral models that work for these people? And you wonder, what are they gonna do with all this? I mean, this is highly manipulative. This is highly, uh, this, is, this can be used, this can be misused in a serious way. So, but it's, all of this comes out is presented in the form of, you know, an educational grant, a research grant, and, and the brightest people in India lining up to apply for these grants. So this is not transparent and, and there is some lack of honesty there. Thank you, Rajiv, and I think you're right. We need to be aware of these uh, initiatives. So, so let me ask you one final question. Um, what's your vision for artificial intelligence? and its role for humankind. What are your thoughts on that? So, you know, AI has many uh, levels at which it operates. So at the current level, it's operating economically and in militarily. Uh, it's beginning to operate psychologically also in this whole game. <clears throat> I believe that if one properly understood some Vedic paradigms, which I'm describing in future books, and one changed the notion of intelligence and cognition from a very materialistic definition to a, 
to a more spiritual definition, one would actually have better, more uh, capable uh, systems and more ethically grounded. Uh, so there are a lot of differences uh, between one kind of metaphysics and another kind of metaphysics. And so what I'm looking for is not only challenging AI's ethics in the current framework, which is what we talked about a lot today, uh, but also changing the very framework to a spiritual framework, a framework where there's more uh, more concern about evolving our consciousness, about our solidarity with each other, about our relationships with each other, and any AI which is disrupting communities' relationships with each other, which is this divide and rule, should be considered a violation. Any AI which is, which is trying to figure out what are the hot buttons of this guy, how to make him angry, how to make this community fight against that community, this should be considered abuse of power. So I'm looking at uh, first stage, a serious critique of the kind of, kinds of AI that are going on. And this is not just West against non-West because I see a lot of, lot of Indian people more on the Western side. I see a lot of them uh, sold out or working for the West uh, or they have these big corporate structures or even governments that are aligned with the, with the uh, AI giants. Uh, I'm talking more about the interests of the masses, the bottom of the pyramid that are not properly represented. So my, my work is to uh, look at those who I feel are likely victims uh, because they're not going to understand all this. Not, they don't have the capital. They're, they're not going to become some AI engineer somewhere. And, but their livelihood is going to be affected and their, the way, their way of life is going to be affected. So people who want to help must side with the underdog. And, and that's, that's sort of, if you were to summarize in one line, what I'm trying to do is identify the underdogs who are stakeholders and who are not given a seat at the table and voice a concern on their behalf. Thank you, Rajiv. Beautifully put. Thank you.